Welcome to the Nine Moms Podcast. My name is Phineas, and this is my mama's podcast, and, and here she is. Hi guys, before we get into today's episode, here are a few little ways that you can support this podcast and the recording of all these beautiful birth stories. You can go to Instagram and follow me at Nine Months Podcast. You can give me some likes there. And if you are listening in to the podcast on your phone, you can take a screenshot and share that you are listening to that episode with me and tag me in it at nine months podcast and I will reshare and we can help spread the word that the podcast exists to other people you can head to patreon.com slash nine months podcast and become a patron there and help me support the work that I do here you can also head to asana etc.com this is a-s-a-n-a etc.com which is an online platform of yoga movement and meditation that I also run and on that platform there is prenatal and postpartum yoga videos that you can practice with with me um, that are pre-recorded and you can use the promo code I love yoga one word capital letters for 30 day free trial so Please go ahead and support me any way that you can so I can continue doing this beautiful work for this community. Uh, and please don't hesitate to reach out if you have any comments or any, any feedback or any reviews for me. Please go to the um, apps where you listen to the pod and give me a rating there or send me a message at the nine months podcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening and now let's get into today's episode. Hi, hi, hi everyone. Welcome back to the nine months podcast and episode number 43. I remember last year I was saying that I was going to give this podcast a year. So in my head, it's 52 episodes. We're coming up to it. And I do think that I really love it. So we're probably going to go past those 52 episodes for sure. As long as you guys have birth stories for me to record, then I will be happy to be putting them out there for you all. I hope you guys have had a wonderful week here in Prague. We've had some sunshine, but some weird spring and April weather. And I'm just itching for summertime. I really just want more sunshine and no jackets and snotty noses and all of the things that come with with just a change of season. So I'm really, really looking forward to having summertime soon. I yesterday was starting to film with my dear friend Anna. Um, we're starting to film some more videos for postpartum and for um, classes for mamas and babies um, with yoga. <laughs> I should say it's yoga also. So filming yoga classes for postpartum and a little bit of prenatal. So on our asana etc platform there will soon soon be more classes for you guys uh, that are home with your little ones uh, to practice with and that's exciting um, my whole body hurts today though because I was doing hours and hours of of yoga yesterday all right so let's get into today's story then 
this birth story or these two birth stories come from Tatum and she is in California at the moment and she'll be sharing these birth stories that were completely different from each other. So Tatum is a medical doctor and she had her first birth with quite a lot of intervention and and was just going with the flow and with everything she learned in medical school and with the people that were around her and just just in general the way that that most most birth birthing people go through uh, pregnancy and and birth just listening to the advice of of the doctors and and the medical professionals and um, her second birth was just completely different from that as she started to explore other options and other other ways of birthing and she ended up having a free birth which means that she birthed without any assistance she also didn't really have any medical checkups or anything for her second pregnancy and you guys will hear why and how she went about that as a medical professional herself also we talk about that a lot in this episode which is quite interesting to me this way that we that we um use medicine or western medicine as just a band-aid and just treating symptoms all the time and, and trying to put everybody into the same box um, and especially when it comes to birth we are not in the same box. Our bodies are completely different. And I think this is why Tatum went that way, just to explore the way that her her body was and how she wanted to birth and how, how it worked for her, rather than being put into a framework of if your waters break, you have to be in the hospital within these amount of hours. And if um, this happens, you need to take this medication. And if this happens, you need to. So all of these things, all of these interventions, how how they're not personalized in a way, if that makes sense to you guys. Um, and I find it really interesting and a really important conversation to have Um and um, as usual, I will let uh, Tatum do the rest of the talking. But um, I really enjoyed this one and it made me think about a lot of things also in my own journeys. And I hope that there is plenty of information for you guys in this episode as well. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Tatum. Hi Tatum and welcome to the nine months podcast. It's very nice to to have you on today. Thanks for having me. Do you want to start by introducing yourself and who's in your family and what you guys do? Yeah, so I am Tatum. I'm let's see I I'm from California. I have a four-year-old son and I just gave birth to my second son. He's four weeks old today. Um, I am, uh, just about to graduate family medicine residency. So I went to medical school and then I did, uh, I've done about three years. So in a couple months is when I'm going to graduate my husband. Um, he worked, he was active duty air force for a while. Um, and now he's kind of in the reserves, but he was a pararescue jumper. So he was trained paramedic, um, and all kinds of, um, 
combat dive certified type stuff. So he's like a superhero um, in human form. Yeah, that sounds um, like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now he's he's guard reserve. So he works part time, and while I'm in residency, he's basically full time stay at home dad. Um, oh, and he's nice. amazing at it. Yeah, he's that was his calling. I'm convinced. Anyone who sees him parent is just wowed and inspired and he's gentle and kind and assertive he's just the best for our boys oh, so it worked really out nice that's really nice yeah so um let's start with your journey to becoming pregnant and the first time did you guys plan to have a baby yeah that was an interesting story so we had actually been um so when I got pregnant the first time I was still in medical school and there was I had kind of wanted to uh either have the baby before I interviewed for residency or be just pregnant um, so that you couldn't tell I was pregnant during interviews. <laughs> so that there was sort of this timing that I had to do during that. Um, I just didn't want to be uh, showing because unfortunately, I just didn't want to take the risk that that would interfere with getting a job. Mm -hmm. So I had actually blacked out, um, three or four months, um, where it was like, you cannot get pregnant during these months, um, because it'll just not fit the timeline. So we had tried for several months. Um, and then I said, okay, this, now we're entering this, uh, no fly zone. We're not going to get pregnant during this time. Um, but as fate would have it, that's exactly when I got pregnant. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's kind of one of those things like I feel like, um, you know, when I tell my my girlfriends who are trying to get pregnant, it's when you it, when you want it so bad, I feel like you don't get pregnant. But when you sort of just accept that it'll happen when it happens, that's when it seems like everybody gets pregnant or when you're not trying to get pregnant. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, it's something about that pressure. But anyways, that's when I. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't think I was pregnant. Um, it was actually my husband who was saying, we need to pick up a pregnancy test at the store because your boobs look bigger. Um, and I was saying, I'm not pregnant. I promise you, I'm not pregnant. I know my body really well. I'm not pregnant. Um, and he said, well, I'm going to go by the store. I'm going to get a pregnancy test. And I said, okay, well, if you're going to stop while you're in there, get a bottle of wine, because when that pregnancy test is negative, we're going to drink. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, he did, he got the pregnancy test and a bottle of wine. Um, and then I, I was sort of joking, like, all right, here I go. I'm going to take it. And then it came back positive. And I, I was in the most shock of my entire life. Like I, <laughs> I don't think I even said two words. I, uh, for a good 10 minutes. Um, I don't even think I pulled my pants up and for like 10 minutes, like when it really hit me that I was pregnant, I was like, I still haven't put my, pulled my pants up. Um, oh, wow. so yeah. And then, uh, so that was the first time I, so I guess we were trying, but we weren't exactly trying when that happened. Mm, yeah. And, and how was that pregnancy then for you? Was it stressful because you knew you had to to go through this thing with your work and everything? It was. Um, and I also was very, uh, I had a very unhealthy diet. Um, and a lot of that's changed, but, um, I was pretty miserable for those for about six months. I had the worst nausea. I had migraines. I, um, I mean, I would be, I, I remember I was on my OB rotation. Um, 
and I, we would be rounding on patients and I would be throwing up outside the patient's door. Cause I was so sick. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was pretty miserable for me that time around. And I think a lot of it was diet, lifestyle, stress. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, just kind of a, I learned a lot, um, which kind of paints the background for my next pregnancy, but so how, um, what kind of, uh, what model of care did you choose? Did you get an OB or did you go for a midwife or how does it look like over there? Yeah. So for the, for my first one, um, I had a couple different OBs. Um, the first one ended up, um, was a refer, I mean, I sort of just Googled OBs in my area, uh, went to see him and then found out later that he was doing something illegal. I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. but the, the OBs I was rotating with said that you couldn't have picked a worse OB. So then I changed and then I was also moving around a lot. So then, um, I was in Southern California when I first started my pregnancy and then I graduated medical school during my pregnancy and then moved to be with my husband who was stationed in Las Vegas. So then I had to reestablish care over there. So, but I had, you know, I did all the, I did it by the book. I did all the labs, all the screenings, all the ultrasounds. So I had my records and I transferred them with me. And, um, I was very indoctrinated into Western medicine, having just graduated medical school. Um, and, and so I, felt like I was doing everything I was supposed to. Yeah. Um, and then I had, um, my first son, uh, my, I don't, am I ready to go into that part of it? Yeah, definitely. Let's jump into the birth story if you're ready already. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I, um, I had heard from a lot of people that, you know, it's best to labor at home for as long as possible. Um, and so on my due date with him, my water broke, but I wasn't having any kind of contractions or anything like that. Um, and so it started as a trickle, um, but I was pretty sure it was my water. And I called the hospital and I said, I think my water just broke. And they said, well, you better get in uh, right now so we can check because if that's true, we're going to have to admit you. And so I hung up with the hospital and I told my husband, well, let's just like, just see, let's just stay home because everyone says labor at home for as long as possible. Um, and then at 1am and that was at 9pm that my water broke at 1am, I got the real gush. I woke up in the middle of the night and I said, get a towel. Cause it, it just, there was no question that my water had broke at that time. Um, and then kind of had some cramping, not really any strong contractions, but a little bit of movement, uh, kind of cramping feeling. And then at 8, 8 a.m., the hospital called me actually and said, where are you? You're supposed to be here. You're putting your baby at risk and kind of yelled at me a little bit. Um, and so I said, I guess we're supposed to go to the hospital now. Like they're upset. I got Mm -hmm. to the hospital. Um, they were not very nice to me. Um, at that point they had said, you know, um, I knew, um, why they were upset. I knew kind of those algorithms where, you know, your risk for infections goes up after being with broken waters for so long. And, you know, they need to get you going on Pitocin and antibiotics. And I had 
you know, I learned all, all the reasons, but I felt that myself, I was really low risk, um, Mm. for infection. And so I felt like it wasn't, I wasn't really the person that that was geared toward, toward, I guess. Um, but you know, the hospital, uh, treats everybody very much the same. Um, they don't really take into consideration your risk or, um, you know, it's all just very standardized approach. So once you're, you go in, it's very cookie cutter and a lot of it, a lot of those, um, interventions are very unnecessary if a person is otherwise healthy and low risk and, um, causes a lot more harm than good for Mm -hmm. those women. Yeah. Um, and I, as it played out with that one, I went exactly according to the algorithm. So, um, they induced me, they started Pitocin, which made my contractions really strong and unbearable, um, and did not touch my cervix. So I, I didn't dilate at all. So then they gave me Cytotec, which then, um, worked a little bit, but caused my contractions to come too strong, too fast. So then they had to slow my labor down with turbutylene and that, um, unfortunately crosses the placenta and gets into the baby's bloodstream and has all kinds of complications for the baby, which we experienced. Um, and then they, my labor essentially stopped. So then they started it back up with another round of Pitocin, another round of Cytotec, then they had to slow it down again. And I was in all kinds of pain, the most excruciating pain, but Mm I, I was still at that point thinking that I, there was a part of me that really wanted to honor sort of a natural birth and I didn't want to have an epidural. Um, Mm -hmm. so I wanted to try everything that I could, uh, which is silly. Cause at this point I had received so much, um, medication that I, um, a natural birth had already been, uh, sort of messed with. <laughs> it wasn't, mm-hmm. uh, I, the natural birth ship had sailed at that point, I think. Um, and so I was trying to think of other things. I didn't want to see section. So the next thing they said was, well, we can mechanically dilate your cervix, um, with a Foley bulb. And that's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with what the Foley bulb is. (laughs) For those that don't know, it would be great if you could explain it. (laughs) Yeah. So basically a Foley catheter empties your bladder. Um, but there's a bulb that after the catheter goes into your bladder, they inflate it. And so then the catheter can stay inside the bladder. Well, they use that bulb um, also to put into your cervix and then inflate it. Um, And basically that inflating it puts pressure on the other side of the cervix, which helps um, dilate quicker. So it's more of a like mechanical way to open the cervix. Um, And usually they don't do it if you don't have an epidural, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, because of the pain. And so I don't know that they were aware that it's as painful as it is, because when I asked them, you know, I'm how painful is the Foley bulb? I didn't really experience a lot of this in medical school. I'm unfamiliar. Um, they said, Oh, it's a little bit of pressure, but it doesn't hurt. And that was the biggest lie I've ever heard in my entire life. (laughs) That was the most pain excruciating process. Um, I went out of my brain. Um, and at that point I was saying, I still didn't want the epidural, but 
I'll take anything else. And um, so they, at that point, they gave me fentanyl um, and it didn't touch the pain of the contractions. It really just made me hallucinate. And I was out of my mind in between contractions, which was really unfortunate. Um, And so it didn't, it wasn't a good uh, solution. So then after 30 hours of this kind of um, trying everything they could to force, you know, dilation and labor to progress, um, I finally caved to the epidural. I couldn't handle the the amount of pain anymore. Um, and, uh, and so, and then that was, let's see that the Foley bulb actually did work. So it came out at, um, about six centimeters, um, and then about eight centimeters, which is transition. And anyone, um, familiar with physiologic birth would know that this is a very painful part of labor. Um, and I was so close, but I, didn't, no one told me that this was, you know, normal, natural, that I was very close to the finish line. Instead, I just got the epidural. Um, and then two hours after the epidural, um, uh, they woke me up because after I got the epidural, I passed out. Um, they woke me up and they said, are you ready to have a baby? Because you're pretty much crowning at this point. And I didn't feel anything, um, I didn't even feel pressure. Uh, it was like like my body was just delivering a baby and I was not, I didn't feel anything. So, um, it, it was a really rough labor, but actually the birth itself was very calm and serene and quiet. Um, Mm -hmm. and I pushed out a very angry baby. (laughs) He was, (laughs) he was really mad. Um, (laughs) And I knew it. I, I could, I said, he's, he's mad. This is not like a sad cry. This is like a pissed off cry. Uh-huh. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then he was, he was fine. He was healthy. He just, um, was placed on a hypoglycemia protocol because of the turbutylene. Um, so every three hours they were, uh, pricking his heel to get blood and check his blood sugar and, it broke my heart every single time. Um, and every time they came in, I, I said, do we have to do this? Do we have to do this? Um, it just, it just seeing him, uh, hurt like that. It just, it, it was a lot. Um, and so, um, at one point I even, I said, no, I'm not, we're not doing this anymore. I can't do this. It's fine. He's healthy. I'll pay attention to his behavior, his activity. If he gets lethargic or anything, like I'll let you guys know, but I'm not, I I can't do this anymore. And the nurse left and, um, came back with four doctors who stood over my bed and told me how, you know, I was risking his life that he could die and have irreversible brain damage. If his blood sugar went too low and it had never been low. I mean, he would pass their algorithm. He, the way that it works is he has to get three blood sugars that are over a certain threshold and then they can stop it. And the way that he was doing it is he would be two over the threshold. And then on the third one, it would be like one or two points below the threshold. It was never super low, but they wouldn't pass him basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there wasn't for me, that was just, it was just too much, but, um, I felt a little bit bullied into continuing that after, um, 
And then after the 48 hours, he still didn't technically pass, um, but they don't have to do it after 48 hours. So um, the nurses were really great and really empathetic. Um, and they said, let's, you know, start supplementing formula. Let's try to get him to pass these things. And, um, you know, I did all that. So uh, it was very, there was a lot of, lot of um, hands in the mix with, mm-hmm. with my first one. Yeah. Which. Yeah. And how was postpartum then? Like the immediate postpartum and maybe coming home with him and, and adjusting to life with, with another person in it. Um, for me, I was actually, um, I, it, it was fine. Um, we wanted to go home pretty much as soon as he was born. So they made us stay three days and that was really irritating, but, um, it kind of meant that on the third day, we just were so over the hospital and couldn't wait to get home. And, um, I had family in town, so they helped with cooking and, um, yeah, I didn't postpartum. I don't remember there ever being that much of an issue. I, I had just graduated medical school, so I was pretty much home anyways. Um, and then my husband had a good chunk of time off and then, yeah. And then I was just, I got to be a stay at home mom, um, for a while, actually. Um, I ended up interviewing, uh, as it turned out nine months pregnant. Uh, so that first time, um, even though I was, you know, I had passed all my board exams, I had honors in a lot of my classes. I had no red flags, never failed a class, never failed an exam, but I didn't, um, match, meaning I didn't get a residency spot that first time around. Um, and the only thing I could think, which is sad to say this, but is that I was nine months pregnant because <laughs> yeah. all my classmates matched. Um, I was just going to say, it's such a, it's such a thing. Like I, I've also been through that just like being at the very end of an, of an interview for a job and then deciding to share that I'm actually six months pregnant at this point and then not getting the job. And the only thing you can think about is that that was the fact, right? And I hear these stories so many times and it's just such a, because you can never prove that that was the issue, right? That that was the the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Just a side note. But (laughs) no, and it totally is because, um, and you know, I was a little bit naive uh, in that whole interview process, I was like, I'm woman, hear me roar. This is the new world. Um, you know, I can have, I can do everything and I can have a job and I can be pregnant. And this is, this is the world that we live in. And it's very much not the world we live in. I've actually been on the other side now, um, for several years and the comments that are made, um, towards interviewees, (laughs) about their, you know, if they have four kids or if they're pregnant or, oh, that's a lot, that's going to be a lot of sick days. And in my head, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, this was me. And this is probably the conversations that they had about me. Yeah. Um, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. But for me in retrospect, um, I got a year and a half with my son to be a stay at home mom. And, uh, I don't know that I'll ever have that kind of time again. Um, and so, that was, um, that was meant to be, I'm not, I don't 
question it. I'm not, I'm not angry about it. I, I fully think that that was exactly how it was supposed to happen for my life. So, yeah. Oh, that sounds really nice. <laughs> yeah. So I matched the following year and everything worked out. I, um, ended up in a, fa- a great family medicine program. Um, and yeah. Oh, that's great. Is there anything else from your first pregnancy and birth that you'd like to share before we jump into the second? I don't think so. Um, yeah, no, I don't think so. I think that's, <laughs> I think I covered everything. I hope, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to, uh, talk too negatively about, um, Western medicine, although, um, it's really the basis for why I went a completely different route the second time. Yeah. All right. So let's jump into that then. Did you guys plan to have your second or was that a surprise? No, we actually, um, we actually planned it. Um, and it's funny. I, so I kind of the last, let's see, I want to say two years, um, or really January, 2021 was when I, um, had some crazy epiphanies and kind of went on a new holistic journey, but, um, I really cleaned up my diet a lot. Um, started eating, um, clean and whole foods, cutting out all, um, the chemicals and preservatives. I was having sort of worsening migraines. Um, and I was on, you know, medications that, um, were both preventative and abortive for migraines. Um, and then I was having brain dysfunction, brain fog, worsening anxiety. I felt like I was having symptoms of early dementia. Um, it was just getting really, really bad, which as a physician is not a good thing. (laughs) Um, I remember it was like really scary. I had just, um, had a patient appointment and then I went back to chart and work on the notes and I could not remember what we had talked about. And, um, one of my attendings came in and saw my face and said, are you okay? And I mean, it was really hard to admit that I was struggling so much with so much memory issues. Um, a lot of just brain inflammation is what it was. Um, so I went on my own research to try to figure out what was going on with these migraines and kind of landed in some, um, diet blogs and, um, uh, minerals and vitamin replacement regimens and, um, started noticing a huge turnaround in my brain health and my, um, energy levels and a lot of other things that I, uh, didn't even realize, like, I don't think I gave myself, um, I didn't, I didn't really know I was maybe depressed or anxious until after I started feeling so much better. Mm -hmm. Um, I just wasn't really aware. (laughs) And then when I started getting better and with diet, um, and the energy that I started having and all my symptoms, my, my gut health, um, my brain fog, everything was just like night and day better. Um, and I thought, why aren't we learning this in medical school? Why is this not the approach? Um, the medications that I was on and I was on monthly injections, even, um, they weren't doing anything. It was all just a bandaid. And I was just getting, I was almost spiraling, um, my health was just getting worse and worse and worse because I wasn't addressing the root cause. 
Yeah. Um, and so then I started learning about the root causes and how important diet is and nutrition and how all these like chemicals and preservatives and, um, a lot of the things that are in our foods actually worsen inflammation and disease. So, um, that was sort of what made me start questioning my entire, I mean, my entire career almost, um, is here I am a doctor and the medicines that I'm prescribing to these people and to myself or, you know, that have been prescribed to myself, they're not actually helping. They're, they're just a bandaid. Um, and so that sent me on a whole new, uh, path in life, I guess, um, just by treating my own, um, migraines and my own dysfunctions that, um, made me realize that, that's what healing looks like, that this kind of Western medicine approach is not actually healing anybody. <laughs> yeah. um, it's more of a business mm-hmm. and it's there, there, and I'm not trying to say that there aren't um, benefits to it or that it can't help a person. Um, I think that it's a good, uh, it works well to add more time onto lives, um, give people a chance to, um, get it together, I guess. But, um, outside of that, I, I just don't, there's a lot of things I just think are becoming overused or, um, I, I totally agree with you. It's like, really, it's, it's hard to go to a doctor these days. I guess it's like all the things combined, what we learn and, and what is like, what is presented to us is the like it's never the root cause of the problem it's like hey I have pain in my shoulder well maybe uh you know you need to take painkiller or maybe like maybe your spine is misaligned or maybe you have some anxiety or maybe you should just eat more iron like it's just that we never look at those things that are actually not even just one step deeper like why why do you think this is rather than going, okay, here's the thing to make it feel better for the moment. Right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, um, I talked to my, a lot of my resident colleagues and attendings and, um, they all sort of, you know, and a lot of my patients too, um, you know, I'll, I'll coach them on, you know, just try a little magnesium replacement. If you have anxiety or something like that, you know, I, mm-hmm. I talk about strategies that they can do that are more holistic. And I mean, it kind of the, my attendings and my resident colleagues are like, that's not standard of care. You know, standard of care is, you know, the SSRI or the Prozac you're supposed to, you know, so I get a little bit of pushback and in my own head, I'm like, yeah, except for, you know, I, I've tried all those medicines and they don't work. (laughs) They, Mm -hmm. they're, they're a bandaid. Um, and so but I don't, I don't necessarily blame them because that's the Western medicine, um, indoctrination that happens in medical school. That's what we're taught. Um, we're taught how to, you know, prescribe medicine. So, um, I mean, with that said, it's like, it's, it's like two, two sides of one coin. Cause sometimes we do need it for something and it's the same with childbirth like I wish everybody could just give birth in a river you know (laughs) or in a field right yes sometimes you do need some help though but it's like it's just the the approach of it I think the approach of 
the the choice and the humanity and and talking to people how do you actually feel about these things and I don't know Um, well and and I think too um what we're losing is um that the knowledge that there is choices that it isn't just a one-size-fits-all um Mm -hmm. and that the western medicine essentially is a business um and it's there for a reason that and it should be that it works for you that that's your choice that you're eliciting their services um and to to learn information and be educated about all the choices that you have but that's sort of being lost um and it seems like it's becoming more this is just the standard and this is what you're supposed to do Mm. um and so my mission now after my second child is more just to create awareness that there are options Um, and that it isn't, you don't have to go that route. Um, and I think actually it's probably in your favor to not go that route, um, with caveats, obviously. Right. So now I'm interested to hear what route did you take? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I was coming off the heels of, you know, this sort of change in my overall health, um, and eating a healthy diet and realized, and I mean, I went hard into the literature. I was like on my free time reading about, um, you know, the health benefits of walnuts, for example, or like, um, all these supplements. Um, one of the kind of, I don't know if one of the common genetic, um, components, MTHFR, and that comes up a lot in fertility too. Um, is very, it's an enzyme that kind of helps you process, um, folate and it's, uh, it's involved in methylation of a lot of parts of your body, a lot of cells, DNA toxins. Um, and in, and in 40 to 60% of the population, it's actually impaired. And I don't want to say it's a genetic defect because it's 40 to six, that's half the population has something um, that makes it a little bit harder to metabolize toxins, Mm -hmm. but why do we have to, you know, be genetically set up to metabolize toxins a certain way, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. why, why not just not be exposed to the toxins? (laughs) It's kind of like (laughs) where I'm at, but, um, so anyways, I had, um, sort of researched how to get healthy, um, from a very science-based approach and, um, the deeper and deeper I got into the immune system and all these studies, the more I realized how vast and how complicated and how magical and wonderful it all is. The human body is. And I started kind of pulling out of the research more and more because a lot of the research is funded by pharmaceutical companies or skewed, or there's sort of flaws to it. Um, and so you have to kind of get really good at figuring out what is a legit study. Um, but I realized that we are probably the biggest lie is to think that we can at all figure out the human body, um, and how amazing it is and how it adapts to the, your immediate environment and your internal environment. And it's constantly changing. Um, and I know that too, with labs, anytime you order labs, it's just a snapshot in time. So you could take the same lab every single day from the same person and get completely different results. 
And so it's just an example of how your body is constantly adapting to its environment and in a way that it's trying to help you survive and be your best self. Um, it struggles with that when it's, uh, burdened with so many toxins, which, um, largely you have to get rid of those toxins and then you start feeling how magical your body is. Um, but in doing that, I realized that I needed to kind of pull out of the science a little bit and just come to this trust and how can I just trust and support my body in the best way that I can. Yeah. Isn't that a toxin also though? Like the, the toxins that we put in our minds, like emotional toxins. I don't know if we can talk about that being a medical term, but like stress, that's also something to put yourself into mindset, right? And not just like what we put in the body. A hundred percent. So, um, probably the, the biggest toxin to your body. Um, and I believe this with my whole being and it's like my purpose in life is Mm -hmm. fear. Yeah. So uh, fear of anything. Um, and largely that's why the Western medicine approach is so successful is because they capitalize on fear, which is an emotion. Um, and they can sway people into doing more harmful things to their body based on the amount of fear that they can elicit. And so I've learned and in that whole process that the amount of fear surrounding birth, um, is largely because of the interventions that are done during a Westernized birth. Um, and if, you know, so I'll kind of jump ahead here. Um, what I ended up doing was a, um, home birth, but also a free birth. So I did no prenatal care. I didn't have any, um, assistance, um, unless you count myself who is a Western medical doctor, (laughs) but yeah, (laughs) or, you know, or my husband, who's a, uh, nationally certified, uh, paramedic, but, um, I wasn't going to utilize any of the, those tools that I had been, um, taught in medical school, um, for, oh, you know, pregnancy management and labor and delivery. Um, largely I was coming at it from a human approach that my body knows what to do. If I support it, if I give it all the proper nutrition, um, and I just listen and really come into kind of the cues that my body gives me. Um, and then I should be able to, I mean, we've been delivering babies for women have, you know, since the history of the beginning of mankind. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I didn't necessarily start that way. Um, and I guess I should go back because your question was, um, <laughs> how did you find out you were pregnant? How did I pregnant? Yeah. <laughs> but so in all of this, I had in the journey of getting healthy, I had really learned my body incredibly well. And I could pick up on how my body was influenced by certain foods or certain emotions, or I was really going inward with any kind of stress, um, and trying to figure out what was the root cause of that stress. And a lot of people call this like shadow work, you know? Um, so I was really into that. And so, um, I was very, uh, I knew when my body was ovulating, um, there's something called the middle schmertz where your ovary 
releases the egg and it can cause various degrees of pain. It's usually really short-lived, but um, it's either on one side or the other of your um, belly button. Um, and so I could always tell when I was ovulating. Um, and then I also just in terms of timelines, my periods were pretty consistent. Um, and so I knew about, you know, two weeks before when my next period was going to come. And that's when your fertility window is for most women. Um, and <laughs> believe it or not, um, you know, my husband and I are very happy, but at the, but in residency with a, a toddler, it makes, um, that time for us, uh, very hit or miss. We just try to do it whenever we, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> when the moment presents itself, we've yeah. lost a little bit of that, uh, you know, uh, activity, uh, to say it, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so with, um, with my son, it was actually, um, a one and done, um, that month, uh, believe it or not. So I, and I ovulated, right after we, um, did the dirty, uh, <laughs> I could, <laughs> you can say I the could, words, nothing's TMI okay. here. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, after we had sex, I actually felt myself have that middle schmerz, like almost like five minutes after, which I thought was really interesting. Um, almost like it had, it was like part of it. Um, and then, uh, I felt this wave of energy come over me, maybe like a couple hours later. Um, and then a couple days later, I felt a little bit of this, like almost cramping sensation. And I told him I'm pregnant. And he said, well, there's no way you could know that right now. And I said, no, I do. I, I know this. I can feel the energy changes in my body. Um, and I guess I should also say that I had had, um, a pregnancy, uh, three months before this where the same thing happened. Um, it was like a one and done. I knew I was pregnant. Um, and then I miscarried at seven weeks. Um, mm. and so same thing happened then where I said, I know I'm pregnant. Um, and I had to prove it with a <laughs> pregnancy test, you know, two whole weeks later. And they said, gosh, how did you know that? And I'm like, I can tell you, I, I know that there was an energy shift there was this cramping, like my body just knew I was pregnant. Um, and then, yeah, it was, it's, it's like when you sort of just get to know your body and get in tune with it. Um, it's pretty magical, but so then I, uh, so that I had a miscarriage and that was actually, I mean, it was very sad for me, but I also was incredibly grateful for that because I knew, um, it, it taught me about my body. It taught me like that. I was, I could, you know, feel a life inside of me. Um, and I was, I just came out of that so much more grounded and grateful. And then every day, um, the next pregnancy, I didn't think anything outside of the next day. Cause I knew that you can, you know, pregnancy can be lost at any minute. And I thought, what's the point in one fearing that, but two, not living today in this moment with this human who's very much alive in my body and we're, we're doing this together and I'm just going to be grateful for today in any, in any moment. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah. So then I, so how did, so that's how I knew I was pregnant. Um, and we had definitely, we were trying and I, um, and it was a one and done. <laughs> I knew I was mm-hmm. pregnant that <laughs> month. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I think deep down, I always knew that I just wanted to kind of go off into the forest or into the river and, and mm-hmm. have a baby by myself, even with my first one. Um, but the fear sort of, um, took over on the first one. And I had just come out of medical school and was trying to just do what we were supposed to do. And obviously we learn about every single complication that could happen and can go wrong. And, um, so sitting with all of those things and trying to do what's best, you know, I, I went that route. Um, then obviously I had health changes and things, um, transpire before the next one. And so then when I got pregnant with the next one, I was in a very different mindset and I was very focused on having no fear. And I was very committed to trying to teach people how to not have fear. Um, because fear itself is very toxic and inflammatory and causes a lot of havoc on the body. Mm. Um, and so, um, so yeah, coming from that no fear approach, and wanting to just trust my body, I didn't really, um, see a need for any kind of, um, intervention in that. Um, and then I started reading a lot about physiologic birth and how, um, you know, when left alone to do its thing, a lot of these complications just fall to almost 0%. Um, there's, you know, a the body knows what it's doing and there's a reason for every single step. And, um, I read Ina May's guide to childbirth and probably the, the, what it taught me the most was just that there is so much variability in natural birth. Um, so it's silly to think that it's supposed to go a certain way or that you have eight hours to get, labor progressed or immediately it goes, you know, certain things like that, where it just doesn't, you can't fit it into a box. It's so different for everybody's, um, unique body and genetics and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So her book was great for that. Um, and then I just did, you know, I went into my own research on, um, you know, delayed cord cutting and, um, all the things and realized that, again, there, this is, this is silly, um, that we have turned this into a medical condition. Um, although, and I, and I make a very clear point saying this, especially as a uh, Western medicine trained doctor, um, our population in general is becoming more and more unhealthy. And so things like diabetes, obesity, uncontrolled hypertension, those do lend themselves to complications during labor and delivery. So like kind of what you said, you know, there is a role for Western medicine and I wish every woman could just go out there and have a free birth, but, um, it's you, you, you have to be a healthy woman in order for that to be, to work more in your favor. Right. Yeah. And how did you come to the conclusion of free birth? Was that something that you thought of the moment you knew you were pregnant or did that sort of just brew for a while? Um, you know, 
I think so. I think in retrospect, there was never really a question in my own heart that that's what was going to happen. Um, but, uh, I had to sort of figure out how to navigate that, um, in my professional life. And also just with, you know, kind of getting my husband on board and then family members and things like that. Um, so I did interview, um, a few midwives, um, and kind of why I was thinking I wanted a midwife was just so that everyone else would feel reassured that, um, someone was there. Um, and I think that was, you know, my heart was in the right place, but I think, um, it's so important for women, um, pregnant women to do what speaks to their heart and not really worry about what anyone else thinks. (laughs) This is, you know, and I was very trying to care for the, the psychology of everyone around me versus, you know, in hindsight, I, I just wanted to have a baby the way that I wanted to have a baby. Right. But I went through, I went through the process. I interviewed, um, a few and I came very close to hiring one. Um, she was this 80, 80 something year old midwife to all the midwives. She was grandmothered in, um, she was not certified. And I actually really liked that. Um, and she said that it was because she could do things that if she was licensed, she was able to do. Um, and I loved the idea of her, you know, that kind of spoke to me, the, this older midwife of all the midwives, it kind of just felt very like, um, I don't know how to, how to put this, but like, if, if I were to hire a midwife, that would be the midwife I would want to hire. Um, but, um, she said some things during our interview, um, that were kind of red flags for me. So one thing she said that, you know, um, I need you to trust me when I say it's time to go to the hospital, that, that means it's time to go to the hospital. I need you to be, you know, commit to that. Um, and then she also said, if you're, you know, for example, if you're having a breech birth, um, there's no questions, you're going to go to the hospital. Um, and the two things that were sort of, um, for me that were just kind of that, that was like kind of a game changer. Um, one thing is like, I'm not going to need to learn to trust you. I need you to teach me how to trust myself. So that's sort of like, is this power struggle, I think, where there's only one person who's deciding how the birth goes in my mind. And that's the laboring mom. If she needs help or guidance and she wants that, um, then that, that is, that is her choice to say, what, what do you think I should do right now? You know, but I think for as long as a, as a mom wants to labor and listen to her body and do it her way, that is what has to be honored. Um, so for me, I felt like that was a a red flag that this was sort of going to be her show. Um, and I didn't really, that didn't sit well with me. And the other thing is that, um, you know, I've been trained how to deliver a breech baby, um, vaginally. Um, and it is actually, um, just a variation of normal. There's nothing, there's no medical emergency about it. It doesn't have to be rushed to cesarean section. Um, so that's kind of one of the Western medicine, um, 
cookie cutter, one size fits all kind of a scenario. Yeah. Um, they take all breech babies straight to C-section and I've seen it, you know, a hundred times and I think it's unfortunate. Um, so that's ultimately, I decided against that. Um, and then I just told my husband, um, I'm just going to do this my way. And he was all about it. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and the more that I kind of came into that confidence and was reading and hearing about free birth and physiologic birth, and, um, it became very clear that that's, that was what I was going to do. Yeah. And so you mentioned that you didn't have any checkups or anything. Did you, did you do checkups with yourself or like, did you check your, (laughs) (laughs) how did that work? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so a lot, so a lot of the prenatal care, you know, a lot of questions come into about labs. Um, and for me, I was the healthiest I had ever been, including childhood. I mean, I don't remember ever having, um, my brain function so well and feel so amazing. So, um, I thought what lab knowing that labs are just a snapshot in time, which lab is going to make me change my management or, um, am I going to receive therapy for, and really a hundred percent of the treatments, even as I do prenatal care, um, I personally would have refused. Mm -hmm. So it didn't really, to me, it didn't make sense to do labs just because I thought what, what is that going to tell me? You know, that I, if I'm feeling the healthiest I've ever felt in my entire life, there's not a single lab that's going to come back. That's going to make me take a medication or antibiotics or, you know, something. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really see the value in labs and I had a lot of colleagues say, well, you're doing labs, right? You have a midwife. Cause I, I told minor lies at work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so this is not the, the community to embrace a free birth. Um, and so they, you know, they had a lot of reservations about me even having a home birth with a midwife. Um, and so a lot of them was, well, you're doing labs, right? You're getting lab work done. And I would say yes, but I sort of wanted to say, which one specifically are you concerned about? <laughs> you know, and I, and I, I kind of wish I would have, because I think they would have fumbled with their words. I mean, what lab do you need from me? Um, but, um, but I did do, I would, I, I had a lot of rotations at the hospital and mainly out of my own, um, curiosity and wanting to see my baby. I did do a couple ultrasounds on myself. Um, and I really tried not to, um, because I don't think they're necessary and they're largely understudied. Um, and I didn't want to subject my baby to unnecessary harm. If there was any harm in an ultrasound, mm-hmm. they're fairly benign, but I, you know, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I did, you know, peek in at him a couple of times, which was a luxury I had as a physician working in the hospital. Um, but I would say to anyone doing a free birth, it's probably a good idea just to do one ultrasound for that peace of mind, just to know kind of like your placenta is in the right spot, even though that moves in the course of pregnancy. So even that's not necessary, but that the, you know, that there's a heart there, that the intestines are inside, that the brain is developed. Um, 
all these things are pretty much guaranteed, you know, when you're a healthy person and the fear is unnecessary, but it does give you that kind of reassurance that, um, and kind of, are you set up to have a successful home birth or will you potentially need, um, neonatal intervention or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's what they say. Also, I've had two home births myself and that's always been the thing that's on the table. Like if you're going to go for something, then just go for the 20 week scan because they can see, yeah, like you said, if there's no brain or if there's something wrong with the heart or something that you're going to need some intervention, um, you know, on the other side of birth, but, um, that that would be the most important one to get. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't, I mean, I just did it on myself. Mm. (laughs) Um, and I, I did about three of them more just because I was, um, like a kid in a candy shop, you know, I couldn't, I could, I just wanted to see my baby, but, um, I always felt a little bit guilty afterwards, um, just because I probably could have done without two of those. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I think it's fine anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's pretty harm. harm. He's, he's perfect. He came out perfect, uh, spoiler alert. So, but, um, great. But yeah, do you want to, do you want to jump into the birth itself? When did it start? And yeah. So actually I want to say my birth started at 36 weeks. (laughs) Um, oddly I had, um, Braxton Hicks pretty much from day one. Um, and I, that was true of my first pregnancy too. My body likes to do these little Braxton Hicks very early. Um, but then around, I want to say 36, 37 weeks, I actually started having contractions. Um, and they weren't consistent. They wouldn't be, you know, all day, every day. It was just kind of like, I'd have one, one day I'd have two, a couple days later. Um, and they were definitely more intense than Braxton Hicks. They were a little bit more crampy. Um, they lasted longer. Some of them actually kind of took my breath away, like how, um, how strong they were. I'd kind of have to breathe through them. Um, and this was happening, you know, while I was at work or, um, during a patient appointment, <laughs> I would, I would have to pause for a second cause I would have a contraction. Um, and my plan was to work until, um, about three days before my due date, um, just to try to, uh, prevent, you know, the delay in graduation and everything. Um, but I would say the Monday of my 39th week and I was at work, they actually sent me home and said, don't come back because they were pretty consistent. They were probably every 30 to 45 minutes. Um, and they were getting stronger. Um, and then, and that Sunday I actually thought it was my first false labor. I had, um, contractions starting at 8 a.m. and they were every 10 to 20 minutes apart and they went all the way to 10 p.m. and then they just stopped. Um, and I really thought, I mean, I was on the ball. I was doing things that day. I was eating spicy foods like, okay, let's do this. Um, and I was very excited, um, but it didn't happen. <laughs> and so <laughs> um, kind of did that, um, you know, and then I had a couple other false 
false starts um, later on that week. And then the next weekend, um, I was, they'd get really strong and I'd, you know, I'd, I think I'm in labor. There was one actually, I think it was, uh, I was 39 and six days and, um, I, you know, I, I, my body produced a lot of adrenaline. I was shaking, I was kind of sweating. Um, and I thought for sure I was in labor then too. And this is just sort of setting the the background for when I was actually in labor. So, um, I, everyone told me, you know, you're going to be early cause this is your second one. Um, and my first one, he was, my water broke on his due date. Um, and so we thought for sure. And because I was contracting so much, um, we, we all thought for sure I was going to go into labor early. Um, and so when 41 weeks came by, I mean, we were all sort of just scratching our heads, like what's going on. And that was the first time that maybe I let a little bit of, um, fear and doubt, uh, creep in, um, which I had been really good and really strong up to that point of, of, you know, listening to my body and my body's just not ready yet. And it'll happen when it happens. And, um, the, on, when I woke up at, uh, that morning at 41 weeks, really my fear was what if I have to be induced or what if like, you know, I get to 42 weeks and I've had no prenatal care and I'm a resident. I know all the OBs in town, (laughs) they're going to all, you know, this is just going to be a mess. Um, and it really was just kind of starting to, uh, that was the first time that I, I felt like I doubted myself a little bit. Um, and I was really uncomfortable and I was over being pregnant, all the things. So, um, I went to Ina May's book on childbirth and I looked at her, um, section on natural ways of induction. And up to that point, I didn't want to, um, influence my body at all. Um, but I think because I had this new kind of fear creep in and I was doubting myself and, um, I was really shaken. I, I thought, okay, now I need to kind of get the ball going. I can't have my worst nightmares come to fruition. Um, so, uh, I wasn't ready to do a breast pump. I, at one point I had talked to, um, the midwife early in pregnancy where she said at 40 weeks, we start a three day breast pump protocol. Um, and that for, for whatever reason that just didn't appeal to me, I didn't want to do that. Um, so instead I tried castor oil. That was like the next one on her list. Um, I did a tablespoon of castor oil with an omelet. And then an, an hour later, um, I did another, like, I think teaspoon or something. And right away, I mean, I was still having those contractions like I had been having, but right away I kind of could feel like cervical changes start happening. Um, there was a little bit of an increase in like the cramping. Um, and I felt like it had done something. Um, and so I was a little bit more encouraged and, um, I had a little bit more cramping and a little bit of contracting, um, but kind of towards 
the evening, um, it had all kind of gone away. Mm. And so then I did another tablespoon of castor oil and I had a cup of red raspberry leaf tea. Um, and then almost immediately had a really strong, long contraction in the kitchen, like while I was drinking this tea, uh, and my mother-in-law was here and she said, that one seemed like a good one. And I, I remember kind of like shaking it off. Like this is, this is just more of the same, you know, more of what I've been doing. This is just another contraction. There's nothing special about this one. And I had had so many kind of false alarms that, um, I was sort of anticipating everything to just come to a screeching halt again. Um, but this time it actually didn't. Um, and I was started having more consistent contractions and they were actually closer together. So every four to five minutes, um, and they weren't stronger necessarily. They were just more consistent. Um, and so I told my husband, um, and my son still sleeps in our bed. (laughs) So I said, I think we need to move him to the other room because, um, this was like maybe 11 PM I'm having like more consistent contractions and whether or not I'm in labor, like I'm fully expecting these to completely stop, but, um, I can't sleep through these and I'm going to be moaning a little bit. And so let's let him sleep at least, you know? Um, and so I got the, and so when he was out of the room, um, I fell into this, like this, I'm just going to let myself labor kind of feeling. Um, I didn't feel inhibited at all. My son was taken care of. Um, and so I got the bathtub going, I got the essential oils going, I got the hypnobirthing soundtrack on, um, and, uh, dimmed the lights. We had the star machine that I put up on the, on the, um, on the, on the ceiling. Mm. And I really just kind of, let myself labor for a bit. And I, it wasn't uncomfortable. It was really peaceful and exciting. And, um, actually the contractions were, they were strong. I mean, there, they weren't anything I couldn't get through, but in between contractions, I felt completely normal. So I didn't, so it was like, I was kind of walking around my room, like, what do I do in between the contractions? Like, you know, I, I just feel so normal and fine. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, it was kind of almost boring at times. So I was like (laughs) (laughs) taking selfies and my husband was passed out. I mean, he, he was there if I needed him. And, um, but I was just sort of walking around my room and, um, thinking happy thoughts. And a couple of times I woke him up and I said, I need you. I need you because I would have like a contraction where I would have, really strong low back pain. And so he would, um, do the counter pressure, um, on my hips and squeeze them together and, or like push into my lower back with a fist. And it would like be a total game changer. Um, he, uh, there were, there were times actually where he would be squeezing my hips and then I would say, okay, the contractions over. And then he would let go. But as soon as he let go, the pain was still there. And I said, it's still there, get back on. And so he would (laughs) start pushing the pushing again, but that's how amazing those maneuvers worked for the contractions. Um, 
And then I want to say, uh, around one o'clock, um, I lost a little bit of my mucus plug. And so I thought, Whoa, maybe I, I really am in labor. Like maybe this really is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of around three 30, um, they, the contractions either weren't that strong or maybe my exhaustion was a little stronger either way. I sort of thought, okay, I'm not, I'm not in labor. I'm just going to crawl into bed. This was fun. This was a good practice round, you know, but, um, this isn't happening. So I crawled into bed. Um, and then five 30, I woke up with a really, really strong contraction and I screamed. Um, I didn't even really, I wasn't even awake fully, but I was like telling my husband, put water in the tub. It was almost like my body was kind of moving me and talking for me. Um, cause I had just come out of sleep and I was thinking like, what's happening. I'm still not really awake, but, um, my husband was putting hot water in the tub. And so I'm like, okay, we're, we're having a strong contraction. Um, and then, uh, though from that point on, I, they were very close together. They were probably every three minutes and they were, they were pretty strong. I mean, they took my breath away. I had to breathe through them. Um, and then at six 15, I had got, gotten in and out of the tub. I was on the, you know, the big pink ball. Um, and I had the strongest contraction yet. And at the sort of peak of that contraction, I felt like a popping sensation, a huge relief of the pressure. And then I felt liquid just kind of run down my leg alongside next to the ball. And I said, Oh my gosh, my water just broke. And that, that was that six 30. And honestly, that was the first time that I was like, okay, I'm in labor. Um, which is kind of odd because in retrospect, it, it maybe seemed obvious, but because I had had all these false labors and I was, they, they weren't that painful. I mean, I was expecting at some point that I would be, you know, it would be obvious, like I'm in labor because of the pain or something like that. Um, but it really, it did that, that never happened. And so it wasn't until my water broke that I really thought, okay, this is it. Um, and then, uh, the next maybe, segment of time. Um, it was a complete shit show. Um, I was in the tub and I didn't know. And I think just kind of in retrospect, I didn't maybe give myself enough credit for how advanced in labor I was. Um, because the next segment was transition. And any time you read about transition and all the things that you feel and you get nauseous and you can't get comfortable. And that's sort of when the worst pain is, um, that's what all that was. But I was thinking like, I was just, my water had just broke. So I was now starting to dilate, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this was, I, I wasn't giving myself the credit that I, that I was actually having labored and I was almost to the finish line. Um, but I was in the tub and the tub felt too hot. And I said, I'm going to throw up. And my husband gave me the, uh, throw up bag. And I said, I don't want that. Get that out of my face. And then I said, I need cold water on my head. And I was thinking I need like a, um, cold washcloth on my head. Um, but my husband had woken up my mother-in-law and she put 
ice water. She literally like just poured ice water on the top of my head. And I was thinking, no, this is not, this is not pleasant. It's not what I wanted. Um, and so it was awful. That was that little transition. Uh, and it, awful is kind of a bad word, but I was not prepared. Um, it wasn't in the mind frame that I was in transition. And I think at transition especially is where having a doula I think would be most helpful kind of to keep you focused have the tools that maybe your husband and mother-in-law aren't prepared to have um but you know just kind of that keeping you relaxed I mean I was I was kind of all over the place um but at one point I said okay it's too hot I need to get out of the out of the tub I got out of the tub and that you know, the air kind of felt really nice and cool on my body. And I thought if I go to the bottom of my bed, um, on my knees, my husband can do that counter pressure on my hips and have, you know, more leverage there than in the tub. Um, and so I got on my knees at the foot of my bed, um, and he started pushing on my hips. Um, but almost immediately, um, I think just that shift in gravity, uh, my body just had this really intense surge of pressure. Um, and I was first like really confused and really kind of, kind of scared, but confused and like, I don't know what's happening. But then as soon as it kind of went away, I realized what was happening. And I had read a lot about the fetal ejection reflex. Um, and it just, came on to me that that's where I was. So I, I, I sort of had this sobering moment, like, whoa, we're here already. Um, I just didn't, I wasn't, I didn't think I was there yet. Um, and so with the next contraction, which was maybe like 10 seconds later, um, I assisted and I pushed and I could immediately feel his head descend. And I told my husband, he's coming, he's coming. Um, and in, my husband was like, what, like what he's coming. And then he looked, he's like, oh yeah, you're crowning. And then he, he called his mom and she came in and I had another contraction where I pushed real hard and I could feel him coming out. Um, and I heard her say the head's out or, uh, you know, she said, I got the head and I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't believe it. It was like, wait, how is this happening? right now so fast. Um, but when I delivered the head, um, I kind of had a brief moment, um, where the contractions stop and I sort of just collapsed on the, ed- uh, end of the bed and just put, buried my, um, face into the mattress. Um, and I could hear my mother-in-law and my husband, they were like, you know, talking really sweetly, like, hi, Liam, welcome to the world. And it was just like, <laughs> the most euphoric, like, oh my gosh, he's here. And I could just, I started getting really excited and it was just like everything I needed to like, um, go that the rest of the way. And so then I started to feel that pressure build again. And then I, um, gave it a a real strong push and then he was out and that was at seven o'clock, 7am. So it was only 30 minutes from the time I you know, my water broke and I realized I was in labor yeah. and I will, I will say too, cause I think you maybe asked this, but, um, when I was in that transition period, I did check myself 
So I just reached in and tried to feel for my cervix to see how dilated I was. Um, and I could feel that his crown, um, so, but it wasn't, I didn't feel a lot of it. I want to say I only felt like maybe like six centimeters or so. Um, and, and he was still really high, um, high up there. So in the hospital, you know, and when I, when we're delivering babies and I've myself have delivered over 50 of them. So I'm, I, you know, I'm used to checking and, um, when they're that high in the birth canal, it usually takes several hours um, you know, of pushing on their back and to bring that baby down, you know, when you feel, and they're really high station, um, we're not at, you know, the OBs aren't, um, going to stick around. They'll, they'll even leave the room when they're that high, because it's like, it's going to be a while for the baby to come down. Um, and so when I checked myself and I felt him, I kind of was like, okay, so we still have a ways to go. Like I'm, I'm going to be doing this for a while. Um, so that was another reason why when I had this pressure, I'm like, I'm, I'm still pretty far away from having this baby. I didn't, I didn't quite realize how close I was. Yeah. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I got goosebumps over here. (laughs) Yeah, it was the best. It was the best. Yeah. And how was that immediate postpartum and delivering the placenta and, and all of these things? Yeah. So I, so Im- immediately after he came out, um, I did kind of like, it was a lot of energy that pushing that final push. Um, and so I, I kind of collapsed on the bed and I needed just like a minute to just breathe and just kind of like catch my breath. Cause it was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I immediately turned around, um, I kind of, you know, navigated the, the cord. Um, and then my mother-in-law put him on my stomach and, um, it was just, it was such bliss. I mean, I've never felt anything. It was just like, oh my gosh, he's here. Um, and he was perfect. I mean, he had the, he was the cleanest I've ever seen. I mean, just the, the most perfect sparkly baby. Um, (laughs) I was expecting, you know, so much of like, vernix on him or um Mm -hmm. but at you know at 41 weeks a lot of that's gone already so he looked like he had just come out of a bath I mean he was just so like pink and clean and perfect and um so I sat on the you know on the floor at the foot of the bed um just kind of holding him and talking to him and um in my mind I had no rush on the placenta um so that's one of the things I think that's not really honored in Western medicine. Um, and just from a physiologic perspective, um, you know, the placenta doesn't even know to detach until the baby's adequately breathing. So in physiologic birth, you can have a baby come out and be a little bit slow to, to start breathing. Um, and that's totally okay because the placenta is that baby's source of oxygenated blood. And so until that pressure from inflated lungs, which then kind of closes off those, um, shunts, and then that pressure changes in all the way through the cardiovascular system, which is in the cord too. And that change in cardiovascular pressure signals to the placenta we're breathing and now the placenta can safely um start coming off i mean the the cascade 
and the natural design, inherent design is perfect. It's just, it's there to make sure the baby is breathing. Um, and unfortunately in the hospital, if a baby comes out and is slow to, you know, start breathing, the first thing they do is cut the cord and provide, you know, all these recessive measures. Um, and when I'm, I mean, and that's the part where I'm like, if we just let the baby stay, stay with the placenta, let the baby have that, you know, backup life support. <laughs> I'm sure mm-hmm. a lot of these babies would come around and start breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just one of the interventions where I'm like, we don't need to do that. This delayed cord clamping is so important. And so for me, I wasn't even going to rush the process. That placenta could stay as long as it wanted to stay. Um, and I wasn't going to do anything. Um, and he, he was alert. He was breathing. He didn't cry, but then he gave, um, this really loud resounding cry, maybe like three minutes in, and I could immediately feel kind of this shift in energy in my body after he did that. So I, um, I said, Hey, can we throw some chucks in the bed? Um, and I'll just deliver the placenta in the bed. Um, cause I could sense that that's kind of what was going to happen next. Um, but so my husband got up to get the chucks and lay him down in the bed. And then right away, I felt like this surge come over again. Um, and I said, Oh, I don't think I'm going to make it to the bed. Um, and I, I tried to like keep it in <laughs> just to like <laughs> give us a little bit more time, but, um, my body was pushing without me. And so it just came, you know, it pushed it out and it, it felt amazing to deliver. It was really you know, soft and warm and really soothing, um, in the canal, but it came out right onto the, um, carpet or the rug in our room and we were not prepared for that. So we will be throwing that rug away, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that came out. Um, we then put it in a, um, stainless steel bowl and then moved to the bed. Um, I did, I did ask my husband just to kind of look, make sure that I was not you know, really tore down there. He, you know, it was still, it was kind of a mess, maybe hard to, um, really see. And I didn't really want to spend a lot of time seeing if I had tore or anything like that. So we just went right away to bonding with the baby and skin to skin. And, um, it was really magical, really special. Um, and everything was great. I mean, then my son woke up and he came in and got to meet his, new little brother. Um, mm-hmm. and then I, uh, I think at some point and there wasn't really any, um, for us, any real, um, rules or anything. We weren't really going by as far as like detaching the placenta. Um, it just kind of, whenever it felt right for us. Um, and so I wanted to jump in the shower just to kind of rinse off. Um, And they wanted, you know, my husband wanted to do skin to skin and my mother-in-law wanted to hold him. So it was, we just felt like it'll be easier to kind of pass him around if he's not attached to his placenta. And the cord was white, 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 and very flaccid. So we knew that, you know, all the blood had come back and, um, we just clamped one clamp close to him and then, um, cut the cord, um, right after that, no blood came out. It was real, 
um, real simple and then he was free and um, I put the placenta in plastic bags in the fridge to be encapsulated. Um, and then, yeah, everything, we were just life as a family of four. Oh, that's great. And you are four weeks postpartum now. Is that right? Yes. And how has it yeah. been over the past four weeks? I know it's very so, fresh, but <laughs> yeah, no, I will say, um, you know, a lot of day one and day two, you still have so much adrenaline going on. Um, I didn't really feel a lot of pain, um, or any kind of, um, complications or anything like that. But on day three, um, I was down, I was man down. I, I had, I mean, the pain was kind of all over my body. I felt really sore. I felt, um, emotionally kind of low. Um, and I, and I took a shower and, um, kind of checked myself for the first time down there and realized that I had a pretty large tear. Um, and this was day three and I had, um, uh, my first maybe bowel movement, like day later in day one. And so when I had the bowel movement, <laughs> um, it worked fine. Everything worked fine. I looked at my, uh, my stool, there wasn't any blood. It wasn't, you know, everything It looked like it, um, you know, that, that movement was healthy and functioning well. Um, so in my mind, I thought if I did tear, it's not to the point where, you know, my rectum is involved or there's any kind of, I'm I'm unable to have a successful bowel movement, which Mm -hmm. is really important because that, um, that's when a repair is necessary. Right. In my opinion, um, you can have a lot, you know, if you, if you tear all the way through the rectum, you can have some serious, um, complications with that. Yeah. So, um, so because I had had that, um, bowel movement and I knew that that was functioning fine, I sort of put tear and everything else on the back burner because I wasn't, I didn't really think that there was going to be, um, a reason for, any kind of repair after that. And, um, as the universe would play a joke on me, I probably had the worst possible tear, um, that you can have where you wouldn't maybe have to have sutures. Um, so it was like almost all the way, um, to my anus, as far as the tear went, Um, and after the shower, I had my husband look at it. I looked at it. Um, and there was quite a bit of, um, exposed tissue underneath. So I really tore, um, and that rattled me a bit, um, because, um, for sure, if this had been, if he had been delivered by a midwife or if it had been in the hospital, 100%, they would have repaired this with sutures. Um, so I was kind of in a position, um, where I was thinking, okay, I'm either going to go to the hospital on day three, um, and have them kind of irrigate this, clean it all out, stitch it up, or this is going to be my last little test where how much do I really trust the body to do Mm -hmm. what it's supposed to do and heal itself. Um, and I was that was a heavy decision for me. So I didn't take that lightly. Um, I sat with 
all the scenarios and what I was um, risking and what potentially could go wrong um, with my choice. But ultimately I decided, um, nope, this is put your money where your mouth is. This is, this is the human design. Your body is, uh, knows what to do in this situation. Um, and so I decided to just leave it alone, keep it clean and not do anything and not repair it. Um, and, uh, that, what that meant is that I was going to have to be somewhat bedridden, um, and stay off my feet and ice it and really take care of this massive wound that I had. (laughs) Um, and I, and I chose to do that. Um, and, uh, let's see, day six was when my placenta was delivered. Um, and I had done, I ordered a placenta smoothie. I ordered half raw capsules and half steamed capsules. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say, uh, just in, you know, the first gulps of that smoothie, which was, she had used raw placenta and cord with three berries and coconut water. Um, I could feel healing immediately start to happen. And especially in my wound where I was still, it was very sore. It was, um, achy. Um, it was still kind of putting out, uh, clear fluid, which is good because if it, if it had been, you know, aggressively bleeding or something that would have been a sign that I needed stitches, but, um, it was just clear fluid. There wasn't any signs of infection, but it was definitely, uh, a heavy, wound still. Um, and as soon as I drank that placenta, I'm not even joking. I felt it go straight to my wound. I felt all the pain go away. Um, I felt in a boost in my confidence, in my mood. It was like, I knew this was exactly what I was supposed to be doing. I was, there was nothing wrong with me. Um, and that, that placenta was a, a total game changer. I felt like my wound was healing faster. Um, and it, it all could have been in my head, but, or placebo, if, if anyone's thinking that, but I also think what's wrong with that, <laughs> what's wrong yeah. with the placebo. Yeah. I don't, I mean, if it was placebo, I'll take placebo all day, every day. I mean, the change yeah. in my, my mood and my confidence and the pain, I mean, it was, it was a total game changer and I'll never not, um, consume my placenta ever again. Yeah. Yeah. I've done that too. I don't know. Like you said, it always felt really good. And the day that I forgot to take my pill, I was like, oh, maybe it's because of this. And then I'd take it and I'd feel better, but maybe it's placebo or maybe, maybe you did something, you know? Yeah. Well, me being the science person that I, I sort of instinctually am, um, I think there, there is not a placebo. There's, there's so many stem cells and hormones and we're the only mammal that's not consuming the placenta off the ground mm. immediately after the, the, the birth. So, um, you know, we are animals and I think this, th- there's a design there as well. Um, yeah. so I'm all for, you know, yeah, for that, for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that. now, And now we're, uh, four weeks out and I'm completely healed. Um, it did take about three weeks. Uh, so I've only been healed for about a week, but, um, it honestly, um, I think, and this again, uh, this maybe 
no one will believe this part of it, but I think after the birth of my first son and, um, I did have some sutures ever since then, I've felt like things were not put back together the right way. And it's hard to explain. Um, but the, after letting it heal naturally, everything that I felt was lost after the first birth, like it's back, like my, it feels like everything's been restored to its natural position. And it feels like everything's functioning so much better. Um, and so I feel like that was the right thing for me to do. Oh, that's great. Wonderful. And, and we've had some references that you've shared along the way. I've made some notes and I'll be sure to link to everything on your show notes page. Um, but would you like to share where the listeners can reach out to you if they have any questions or, or anything? Um, yeah, they can. I mean, uh, what would, what do most people do? I mean, they can, uh, email me, they can find me on Instagram. I do have, um, for, you know, the, the next couple of months, I do keep my Instagram private just because, um, the nature of my profession, um, and a lot of the things I talk about is very frowned upon, um, in Western medicine. (laughs) And so I have, until I'm free, meaning I've graduated this residency program, I keep my Instagram relatively private, but, um, I do have, you know, people who are curious or I have, um, followers who want their family members and friends to follow me. And they just give me a heads up on what their name is. And then I just find them in those friend requests. And I, um, anyone who wants to follow me can, um, I'm just Mm. more selective about my audience until I graduate. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, it's, that makes total sense. I think I, well, we can either, um, share that and then people can make requests or, or they can send an email to me and I can forward it all to you also. So that's not a problem. Yeah. Oh, oh, good. So thank you so much Tatum for coming on and sharing your beautiful births with us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks again, Tatum, for coming on and sharing your beautiful birth stories with us today. If you are out there and you'd like to reach out to Tatum, please send me an email at the nine months podcast at gmail.com or head to the show notes page and check out her contact details there. You can also always head to nine months podcast.com. Uh, forward slash directory to check out all of the episodes in different category forms so if you're looking for a certain kind of birth you can find them there categorized a little bit easier for you also if you'd like to share your birth story on the podcast one day then go ahead don't be shy send me an email at the nine months podcast at gmail.com and we'll take it from there All births are important, all births are beautiful, and I'm always happy to share all birth stories on this podcast. All right, you guys, have a wonderful rest of your week, and I'll be back next Thursday with another episode.